to Mark chapter 3, and I would ask you to just begin reading with me in verse 1 of chapter 3. And he entered the synagogue again, and a man was there who had a withered hand. So they watched him closely whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so they might accuse him. And he said to the man who had the withered hand, step forward. Then he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they kept silent. And when he had looked around at them with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts, he said to them, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored as whole as the other. Then the Pharisees went out and immediately plotted with the Herodians against him how they might destroy Jesus. Let us pray. Father, we thank you and we bless you for who you are. We thank you for all that we have already, what we've already heard. We thank you, God, for what you are doing in the midst of this church. But more than anything, aside from salvation that you've provided as a free gift through your son, Jesus, we thank you that you're present here today. And we ask that you would continue to commune with us in Christ's name. Amen. 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 We praise the Lord. And if anybody in here warm or if you're kind of warm in here a little bit, Okay, just, just a tad. Hair is not as thick as it used to be on the top. The air just really good. Praise God. During his travels abroad, a man purchased a very expensive clock. Excited about his new rare treasure, he could hardly wait to show his family and friends. Once he arrived back into, in the States, he scheduled a clock reveal party. On the special day, everybody gathered in a large room to see the new exotic clock. Finally, the big moment came. The clock was placed in the center of the room covered with a cloth. The countdown started. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. And they lifted the cloth to applause from the clock that was stationed in the center of the room. And you could just see the pride from the smile of the man who had spent a small fortune to purchase this very unique clock. But something happened that was startling to one of the guests. They noticed that the hands on the clock were not moving. And so they brought it to the attention of the purchaser. 
And after examining his clock, the man realized that he had purchased a clock that was broken. He was directed to take the clock to one of the best watchmakers in the country. And so when he arrived at the master watchmaker's shop, he met the watchmaker's apprentice, and he looked, the, looked at what the man had brought to him, and he said, come back in three days, and the master watchmaker will have the necessary repairs completed. So he was feeling some kind of way about that. I mean, after all, he had played a, a small fortune for a clock, and now he has to fork up more money to have the hands, to have this clock that shouldn't have been broken, repaired. Three days passed, the man returned. This time he was greeted by the master watchmaker. And he looked at the man, he said, sir, I'm sorry to inform you that I was unable to fix your clock. So, well, what do you mean? You're the best in, in, in this area, and you were highly recommended. He said, well, you only brought the hands of the clock to be repaired. He said, because the hands of the clock are broken. He said, well, I can't fix the clock if you only bring the hands. So I knew you were a crook. You're just like the rest of them. You're trying to you know, milk me out of more money. The hands are the only thing that are broken on the clock. If you were as good as you said you were, you would have been able to fix my clock. And the watchmaker says, sir, without the rest of the clock. And so give me back the hands of my clock. And he took the hands of his clock, and he stormed out looking for a new church. No, he stormed out <laughs> looking for a more agreeable Master watch fixer. When I thought about that story that I heard many years ago, I, it caused to come to mind the fact that many of us are like that man today. Our lives are broken, but we only bring the hands. We only bring the part of our life to Jesus that we think needs to be fixed. And when he doesn't fix the entire life, although we only brought a certain portion to him and basically said by that decision and by that action, the rest of us, the rest of my life is off limits to you, we become discouraged. And we question the very power of the Lord to heal and to, to fix our brokenness when the problem is not with the watchmaker. The problem is with the broken clock that we're not submitting to him. Today marks the beginning of a new series of sermons I'm entitled, Fix Me, I'm Broken. Fix me. I don't know about you. I'm just going to say up front, I'm broken. And what we're going to discover today, that although we are broken like the man with a withered hand in Mark chapter 3, we hide it well. We got withered hands, but nobody can tell it because we got we dressed up real nice, got the lipstick going, got the, got the, got the certain attire, and, and we, 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 we smiling, and, and everybody think 
all is well because God is good and all the time God is good. Anything that is less than perfect is flawed. The more obvious the flaw, the less likely is something to be chosen. So everything that you can see, including ourselves, is flawed because it's less, we are less than perfect. And the more flawed we are, the less likely we are going to attract others to accept us. And so we find ourselves, in order to avoid rejection or exposing our weakness to others, we learn how to hide them. We don't want others to know about our broken lives. That includes our messed up marriages. People going to church every Sunday, reading from the same Bible, praying at the same altar, sleeping in different parts of the house, going days without speaking to each other. Uh, love has died, but we love Jesus. And we want everybody to think that of us. We hide the fact that we don't like ourselves. We, we struggle with negative, inferior thinking, jealousy of those who we look around at, and they seem so successful, seem so happy. Well, I wish I had his wife. I wish I had a husband like hers. We hide our anger, our fear of failure, our deep family dysfunction. We don't want nobody to know about that. We want everybody to think that our family's just fine. Some people come to church every Sunday depressed and leave the way they came. Some of us are struggling with debt, and we don't know from one month to the other if we're going to have a place to sleep, food to eat, gas for our car, and we're in church every Sunday, and no one would ever know the difference because we have learned how to hide our brokenness. Some people come to church and they are broken from sexual abuse. They've been violated by someone in their own family. Incest, rape. Some people are struggling with sexual identity issues. Some people even, I remember when our church uh, transition from regular cups for communion where you pour the wine to the kind that we use, it was because of HIV and other sexually transmitted diseases that you can, uh, that can be communicated or passed on through uh, glasses. Um, family secrets that have left us wounded, alcoholic parents, drug-addicted parents, I have a patient who's 26 years old, born with HIV. Or some other life-dominating sin that no one knows about, secret sin, stuff that we do in the dark that nobody else knows about that impacts every aspect of our lives on some level or another. We have learned to hide our brokenness. We do it well. We do it well. Now, today, I'm just going to lay the foundations. One of the things that I realized with me 
And the, the idea that the Lord gave me was a sudden ghost, things that come up in your mind, they just sneak up on you whenever they choose to. I want to talk about what that, what that entails. But today, in, Matthew's cha- in Mark chapter 3, hmm, Mark chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, we meet a man who needed to be fixed. The visible and physical evidence of his brokenness was obvious to see. Some brokenness you can see. Somebody fall and, the, and, and their, their, leg is, uh, some, their leg is severed from the, from the socket or something, and you think, oh, man, his leg shouldn't be turned that way. That's visible and physical that you can see with the natural eye. But, his, but he hid amongst the crowd. And so the man with the withered hand, he had an atrophied hand, a shriveled hand. We don't know if it was the result of an accident. Maybe he had a stroke and there was no blood circulation, what we do know is that he, from the scriptures, he wasn't born that way. Could have been a work-related accident. But here he is in the crowd. He, he's blending in. He didn't want to stand out. None of us want to stand out. We want to fit in. We want to be accepted. We want to be liked. We want everybody to think we're just like them, or maybe just a little better. What was invisible to the natural eye, though, was the impact that his external brokenness was having in his life. Luke uh, chapter 6, this particular account in Mark 3 is recorded in three of the four Gospels. And Luke, being a doctor, is very specific. He said not only did this man have a shriveled hand, an atrophied hand, but it was his right hand. It was, like most people are right-handed, he needed the hand to work. And because the hand didn't work right, there's a good chance that the man was unemployed. Therefore, he couldn't provide for his family. And a man that couldn't provide for his family, now that's messing with his self-esteem. That's messing with his self-worth. And he's now possibly having to resort to begging just to survive. And so the external deficiency does not say to the onlookers, how does it affect the way I think about myself? The man suffered from a debilitating disease. The right hand, the right hand, he was unable to provide. His outward, this man's, the interesting thing about the account as well, is while his impairment, his brokenness, what we used to call disabilities, was obvious for everybody to see. The group that, uh, that was in the room that day, the religious leaders, his external brokenness represented a deeper brokenness. It represented the brokenness that resided in the hearts of the Pharisees, the Herodians, and the scribes, the religious leaders. They did not realize that they were broken. They didn't think they needed to be fixed. But what was externally evident to all, to Jesus, he could see that those who were in that room, who seemed to have it together, he described them as having a condition called hardness of heart. That's an evidence of something wrong on the inside spiritually. And so while we may not be able to detect that you have a withered arm, I want you to understand that there are things that are far more serious than a broken arm or or paralysis on one side. If you don't think right, 
You are a broken person. Here we read again in verse 1, and he entered the synagogue again, again, again. And what's interesting, when you, if you do a study of Jesus' encounters in the synagogue, every time he went to church, he had a fight. Every time, there was not, there's not a single example where Jesus went into the synagogue where there wasn't a problem. And a man, he was there, he had the withered hand, so they watched, they watched, they watched him closely, whether Jesus would heal him on the Sabbath so they might accuse him. Now, there's a theological approach to this text, but I want to address this from a more of a devotional. There's a bigger idea, and it'll come out, but I want to talk about the practical aspect of the miracle that actually transpired in front of the audience that was there. I want you to know that every time somebody gets saved, that's a miracle, <laughs> and it happens right before our eyes. But, but not everybody gets happy about that, but, but let, let, me, let, me, let me share a few thoughts. First of all, Christ came to fix our brokenness. That's why he came. Somebody glad about that? Jesus is the solution for your problems. Listen to uh, what is recorded of Christ in Luke chapter 4, verses 16 through 19. So he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up and he read. He opened up the scroll. He opened up the scroll. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to do what? To preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to do what? Heal the brokenhearted to proclaim liberty to the captive, somebody read with me, and recover of the recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the accepted year of the Lord. You ought to have a Bible verse that describes why you're here. You, have, you ought to have a life verse, and that ought to be what becomes your compass for your purpose. And if you don't pray and ask the Lord, to give you not just a good verse that you can remember, but a verse that actually describes what you believe God intends for you to be doing as far as your purpose. Now, why did Jesus come according to the, this particular passage? Why did he come into a broken world? There are two reasons why Jesus is, is said to have come into the world. First of all, to preach the gospel to the, to the poor, and the poor is not monetarily poor, but the poor in spirit. He talks about that in, in Matthew's chapter of 5 in the Beatitudes, that Jesus came to preach the gospel to those who are spiritually bankrupt, we, the ones who have empty hands, the ones who understand that it is by grace through faith plus nothing else that we're saved. He came to give the good news, the euangelion. That's why Jesus came, to proclaim the good news. Secondly, he came to prove through the miraculous acts and deeds that he did, that he is the promised Messiah. Jesus came to prove that he is the Savior that is the Lamb who was slain before the foundations of the world. He is the one that the Lord said to Adam that from your seed will come Messiah, back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And so he came to prove that he is the promised Messiah through the ministry of fixing broken people. So the, the, the illustrations of healing people who are broken are testaments of the fact that Christ is 
who he actually claimed to be based on this Luke chapter 4 passage that comes out of the prophecy of Isaiah. Are you still with me? Now, all right, we're going somewhere. We're just laying the ground for the series today, all right? Fix me, I'm broken, but I hide it well, all right? So he came to prove that he, that he is the promised Messiah. And here's how that's demonstrated in these verses. He has sent me to heal the emotionally broken. That's what it means when it says to heal the brokenhearted. He, Jesus came to deal with your emotional brokenness. He came to deal with your, deep, your emotional brokenness. Jesus has the prescription. Secondly, he said he sent me to set demonically oppressed people free. That's what it means when he says to proclaim liberty to the captives. There are people who are not just vexed by the spirit, by demonic spirits, tormented and frustrated by demonic spirits. There are people who are genuinely oppressed. They are demonized by Satan's emissaries called demons. He says, so he has sent me not only to release those who are emotionally broken, but those who are demonically oppressed and, and possessed, he is the answer to that issue as well. He has also sent me to heal the physically broken. He said to restore sight to the blind. If you're blind, if you have physical illness, you have physical need, guess who has the prescription? Jesus. He has sent me to heal the, mental, the mentally oppressed, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, the Bible says. So if you have tormenting thoughts, if you struggle with negative thinking about yourself, if you don't have the same view of yourself that the Lord has, the Bible says that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. We need to think his thoughts, for his thoughts are not our thoughts, neither are his ways. So in order to have our minds renewed, God sent the prescription. His name is Jesus. So he was sent to heal the mentally oppressed, but he was also sent to proclaim by his supernatural authority, he says, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And without going into a bunch of detail, the acceptable year of the Lord is the, is the day of Jubilee, which is the 50th year of, of, uh, where the Sabbath would not be on, where the, where the entire land would be allowed to rest, where if you owed a debt, <laughs> your debt was cleared. And so Jesus, so the, 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 the year of Jubilee, the acceptable and favorable time that Jesus came to supernaturally demonstrate his authority over is more representative, not of a time, as much as it is of a person. Jesus is that person. And so he came to declare that he has authority over the Sabbath. He has authority over the seeds. He has authority over the demonic. He has authority over those who are struggling with mental and emotional problems. He came to prove the acceptable year that he has brought through his presence the rest that we've been longing for. The year of Jubilee has been ushered in through the person of Jesus Christ. And so why did he come? We see why he came according to these verses, mentally, emotionally. He got everything that I need. You, you can go to your medicine cabinet. It's full with all kinds of prescriptions and drugs, but the one drug that we need most is called Jesus Christ, and he can address the brokenness that we all experience. Now, notice it is him. It is him who fixes our brokenness. And the Bible says, after he read in verses 16 through 21, 
he says uh, uh, in uh, Luke chapter 4, he said, then he closed the book and he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. They're like, what? You are the anointed. You came to do all this. And then he said, here it gets even bolder. He says, and he began to say to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled. He said, do a Google search, a spiritual Google, Google search about who can heal all mankind's brokenness, who can save people from their sins, and the name that's going to appear on your Google search, if it's spiritual, it will be Jesus. And he sat down. And they had a problem with that. But we're not going to talk about their problem. But what I'm saying is that whatever our problem is, Jesus is the one who can fix it. Remember the woman in John chapter 4, the woman at the well, Jacob's well? She was there at a time when women normally would not be there by herself. There's a reason she was there by herself. Because this woman had been married five times, and the man that she was now currently living with was not her husband. And so nobody wanted to be around her. And so this is a woman who was searching in all the wrong beds to get her emotional needs met. And so Jesus is, the Bible said he had to go through Samaria. No self-respecting Jew ever had to go through Samaria. But there was a divine appointment. So he meets the woman at the well, and he says to her, give me a drink of water from your cup. And she said, well, wait a minute. I'm a Samaritan, and you can't put your Jewish lips on my Samaritan cup. And Jesus said, if you had asked me for water, I would have given you the kind of water that once you drink of my water, you will never thirst again. He said, well, wait a minute, Jesus. How are you going to give me that kind of water? You don't even have a cup to dip it with. And he said, well, you don't understand the gift of God that is standing right in front of you. I am the one who came that was forth, that was that, that Jacob knew about, that Abraham and Isaac knew about, that would ultimately meet your deepest need. And all you need to do is accept me for who I am. And then she said, oh, Jesus, then Jesus said, go get your husband. She said, I ain't married. I got him now. I ain't married. He said, you know what? You're an honest woman. You ain't married, but you're shacking up right now. I don't know if they call it that anymore, but you, you, you living with a woman that you're not married. You're living with a man that you, you live with a man that you're not married to. And she said, I perceive that you're a prophet. And then she started talking about, well, we worship at Mount Gerizim, and you go to New Direction Baptist Church and Bible Church, and we don't fellowship together because we different denominations. Jesus says, there's coming a day when it won't matter if you worship in, a, in the outhouse or the, or the White House. What matters to God is God is spirit, and they that worship him <laughs> must worship him in what? Spirit and in truth. And once, once he said that, she said, she said, well, 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 my father said there's a prophet coming. He said, he's here. <laughs> and once she acknowledged Jesus for who he is and, 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 and how he revealed himself to her, she decided, let me go back to town. And she says to the men that are gathered, she says, come and meet a man. And here's the part that got all the brothers to leave the town to come to see Jesus. Talk about an evangelistic outreach. He said, she said, who told me everything that I ever did do? 
And the Bible said every man in the city followed that woman. I said, well, how in the world was this woman such an effective evangelist? How did so many men, because everything that she did do included them. So they followed her because they wanted to know what was this source that told her everything that she ever did do. And then as they were coming, after this woman invited them to, to come meet Jesus, the disciples were returning. They were like, what, what, what did he get to eat in? What is he doing talking to the woman? And then Jesus said, lift up your eyes. You say in three months the harvest. I tell you, these men that are coming in to see what I told her, the harvest is white and is ready to be received if you can see it. Jesus is the one who fixes our brokenness. It's not a man. If I could just get married, if I could just get a wife, if I could, she, and I hear men say, I need some, somebody to fix me. I need a woman, a good woman. You know you don't. You need Jesus. He's the one who fixes us. How does Jesus fix our brokenness? How does he fix our brokenness? And this is kind of going to lay the groundwork because what we, we expect is abracadabra. You're going to lay hands on somebody, and they're going to go from paralysis, and they're going to be doing uh, 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 Olympic marathons and triathlons. But listen to how the Lord fixes our brokenness. In 2 Corinthians, you need to write this down, 12. Chapter 12, verses 7 through 10. Here's how the Lord fixes our brokenness. And I've had to learn this the hard way as a hospice chaplain. I've seen thousands of people die in 14 years. I've seen more people than I ever want to see die again. It doesn't matter what station of life, how much money, where you live, who you knew. When you breathe your last, you're just as dead as the person who died a thousand years ago. But the, 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 the significance of that Statement is when I'm standing over somebody and they're not going to get better, they're not going to get physical healing. What do you say as a Christian, as a preacher? Sometimes you don't need to say anything, you just need to be there. But more than anything, I know that there's something better than healing. It's called wholeness. The lepers got healed, all 10 of them, but the one who came back, the Bible says, not only are you healed, but your faith has made you whole. There's something greater than physical healing. Healing is temple. You're still going to die, but wholeness. <laughs> stay with me. Stay with me. And Paul speaking, he said, unless I should be exalted above measure, he's describing his experience where he was by revelation allowed to see what heaven was like. And then the Lord says, I allowed you to have a vision of heaven, but what I allowed you to see, you can't tell nobody. You got to shut up. Maybe because if people knew how heaven really is, they would be killing themselves to get there. And so the Lord said, Paul, you can't tell anybody what you saw. He said, unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in my flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan, to buffet me. Lest I, a, a brokenness was given to me, lest I be exalted above measure, lest I be caught up in my pride. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times. I prayed about this thing three times that it might depart from me. I don't know what your thorn in the flesh is. I don't know where you're broken. I don't know where you're hurt. I don't know what you've been trying to run from. I don't know what you feel like you can't take it no more and you ain't taking it no more. Whatever it is, Paul said, I prayed three times and the Lord seemed not to hear me. So I prayed again. And here's how the Lord responded. And he said to me, this is what you want when you're praying and you're hurting, and you're sad, and you're broken, and you're, you're disappointed. You can't see your way out. What you need in the dark place is to hear him speak. And here's what God said. It's not always what you want him to say. 
He says, my grace is sufficient for you. It's adequate. It's enough. I don't know what you're going through, but the grace of God is sufficient. It's enough. For my strength is made perfect in your weakness. And whatever your broken area is, if God chooses not to fix it, he said, my strength is perfected, not in spite of, but because of it. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities and that the power of Christ may rest upon me in my weakness that the power of Christ is activated. Therefore, I take pleasure in my infirmities. It's not the lack of faith. I believe God for healing. I believe God to, to take away my broken area. But when he chose not to, when he planted me where I am and he, and he chose not to move me, instead of being bitter and angry, I'm going to grow where he placed me. Therefore, I take pleasure in my infirmities and reproaches. Doesn't matter what you think or say about me. In need, in persecution, in distress. This is not somebody who's just talking off of, just to say platitudes. He, this man spent time in jail. He was beaten. He was left for dead. He said, I take pleasure in my distress for Christ's sake. For when I'm weak, <laughs> then I'm strong. How does he heal my brokenness? Through his sufficient grace. Through his sufficient grace. That's when the Bible says, Paul says, there's no temptation that has taken you, but such that is common to man. But God is faithful, who will never allow you to be tempted beyond your able to bear, but with every temptation, sufficient grace. You got enough gas to get you through. I ain't talking about uh, enough gra grace for 10 days, but you got enough grace for today. He got enough strength for today. You got enough love for today. You got enough mercy for today. He will give you your daily bread, your daily strength. His grace is sufficient. It's adequate. It will help you in the midst of whatever your broken situation is. He heals us through his sufficient grace, but he also heals through our submission to his will. Paul said, I, therefore, I make a decision to gladly boast in my limitations. Oh, I'm praying for my healing. I'm praying for my marriage. I'm praying for my children. And I want it to be okay. But, Lord, if it doesn't work out the way I want it to, your strength will be perfected in my weakness because I'm going to have to depend on you. I'm going to have to be able to see beyond what my natural eye can see. I'm going to have to have the eyes of faith because the, for faith it's a substance of what? The things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. I got to be able to see the invisible as if it's visible as I look through the word of God in my circumstance. His grace is sufficient, but the sufficiency of the grace has no effect if we don't submit to his will. Paul says, I would rather struggle in his strength than to be strong in my human strength and be at the same time outside of his will. So we're looking for healing in our brokenness by our husband needs to take another class. We're looking for healing in our brokenness for if we just get more money in the bank. And Lord says, if I gave you more money in the bank, you wouldn't come to church. 
the, the very thing that you're running from, the thing that makes you most angry, may be that which God has chosen to allow in your life to be the thorn to cause you to depend on him. So that you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you have a testimony that his grace is really enough. Christ sees your hidden brokenness. Say, Christ sees my hidden brokenness. Even when you hide it. Most of the times that you see me cry, I ain't planning to do it. It's not something I plan to do. But you can start talking about something, and before you know it, you just broke. It's, it's a place of tenderness in your life. It's a, I thank God for the tears. I thank him, even though I would rather not be crying. I don't want you to know I'm hurting. I don't want you to know I'm vulnerable. I'm the pastor. Oh, man. Please. The Lord sees. Listen at verses uh, in, in Luke chapter 6, verses 7 and 8, verse 8. Excuse me. So the, the, so the scribes and the Pharisees watched Jesus closely. Whether he would heal on the Sabbath, they're in church, they're watching. Fault finders do that. That he might, if he'd heal on the Sabbath, and then that they might find accusation against him. And here's what verse 8 says. But he knew their thoughts. He knew they didn't have to say a word. I'm jumping ahead, but I can talk to Brandon, and we have a certain kind of relationship. But then when he talks to his mother, it's like, okay, he didn't say that to me. (laughs) A mother knows a child's pain in ways that, as men, we can't always identify. And so what happens is wherever you broke the most, whatever you're trying to hide, maybe you got your size nine, women shouldn't wear it beyond whatever, whatever the, the societal norms and the pressures on women. If you, if you don't get married before this age or that age, then you, you got you to gotta hide that. And, and you know, people wearing 10 rings. So they're going to ask them, well, if you married, got 10 rings, so they can't ask you, none of your business, you know. <laughs> The Bible says he saw the external brokenness of the man. Even though he was in the midst of the crowd, his right hand was withered. The Lord sees you in the crowd. He sees you here today. He knows what's hurting you. He knows what you're afraid of. He knows what intimidates you. He knows what causes you to back down. He knows the words that the enemy can utter and keep you away from church. He knows. He saw the internal brokenness of the scribes and the Pharisees. The Bible said he knew their thoughts, not what you're saying with your mouth. Somebody said, smiling faces tell lies. He knew what was in their heart. In the scriptures way back, this is how we learn how to conceal. You didn't, nobody took you to class to teach you how to put defenses around your insecurities, your defenses around those areas where you're really easily wounded. Adam and Eve taught us. Uh, they, they tried to cover their internal brokenness with, by external means. The eyes of the Lord. The Bible says, then the, eye of the, and then the eyes of both of them were open after they sinned. They disobeyed God. And they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made 
themselves covering. They're trying to hide their brokenness. And then they heard the sound of the voice of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day like he always did. And Adam and his wife, they did what? They ran to the Lord. They bowed in prayer. They, they said, no, no, no. The Bible said they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. I don't care how dark the room is, how far you go, how many locks are on the door, how softly you talk, how, how technologically savvy you are in being dishonest. There's nothing that is hidden from him. I don't care what kind of fig leaves you try to use. Then the Lord called out to Adam and he said, where are you? This wasn't a geographical question. He knew where Adam was. This was theological. This was spiritual. This was on the inside. Where are you, Adam? Where are you? Who told you you were naked? Who told you something was wrong? Who told you you weren't smart enough? Who told you you weren't tall enough? Who told you that your skin wasn't the right? Who told you you were naked? Who told you that what I said was good is bad and you believed it? Who told you, Adam? Paul tried to hide his brokenness behind his confidence in the flesh. He said, if anybody could be confident, I should be. Look at all the degrees. I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. I'm a, a, a tribe of Benjamin, circumcised on the eighth day, multilingual, theologian, etc. According to the law, I was perfect in terms of my attempt to do right. And then the Lord had to knock him down to show him his brokenness. Sometimes we think we all that, and then the Lord allows some trouble. You want to know where you really are spiritually? Let the Lord turn the heat up in your life. And, and what's really in you, you ever see these players? I'm an Eagle fan, y'all. And I, I, I was really reluctant when they, when they selected and traded for Ajayi. What's his name? Joseph Ajayi. And the Eagles got behind. They were like two and three. And he on the sideline didn't even know that he had uh, an Achilles, uh, what was it, ACL tear. He's, in the, he's being interviewed, and I wasn't getting the ball enough. And uh, I don't understand the coach's thinking. And why wouldn't he be? He, now, now, what happens is when you have adversity, whatever is in a person, that's what's coming out. And so whatever you're putting your confidence in, Paul was standing behind his credentials, standing behind his training, standing behind his heritage. And then when he met Jesus, he realized that everything that he had confidence in was the cause of his brokenness. What are you trusting in? We used to be able to say, I'm working for the post office. I'll never lose a job. I got a, life, I got a, a lifetime job. I work for the phone company. You know, I don't know where you can work now and guarantee that you're going to retire there. What do you have confidence in? Well, no, no, I got my weight down. I got my figure right. And I'm looking pretty good right about now. For now, walk up the road a little bit more. Get closer to my age. And there's nobody going to be saying, southward, southward. Everything is going back to gravity. What goes up must come down. Paul tried to hide his brokenness behind his false confidence. We shouldn't have confidence in the flesh. All of us are like the king with no clothes on when it comes to the things that we think we really balling in. You know, we really got it going on. I remember a guy, it was horrible. 
He was so confident. He wanted to show us all. First homiletic sermon that we were able to preach, he was the first one up. He wanted to show us how he, we underestimated him and how he, man, he had this thing totally wrote, memorized. He got up there. He couldn't even remember the passage. And he started, help me, Jesus. Help, no, Jesus ain't going to help that. <laughs> help me, Jesus. Help me, Jesus. What caused him to fail is not the fact that he didn't know. He was caught up in his pride. All of us are like the king with the co no clothes on. The Lord is saying, I know your thoughts. I know what you really wrestle with. You know how we can be going? You're in the Lord. You're doing your devotions. You're praying. You're enjoying your walk with God. And then the next thing, you acting like a total heathen in your thoughts. And your, you, know, when, you know, isn't that how we are? I know. I can't speak. I speak for my wife, but, you know. <laughs> the Lord knows. He knows. That's why I feel my call, my vision, is to help people reach their full potential in Christ so that you come to a place where you are actually walking in your freedom, your liberty. You're not looking over your shoulder. You're not worried about what people are thinking. You're not worried about getting the words right or wrong. We just want to have a good time in the Lord. And that's how you become everything that you should be in him. I know what it's like to struggle with self-esteem and not think that you're smart and you're dumb and you're dark. And you're I know what that's like. The sweaty palms and, you know, all of that. I know what it's like. Lord, allow me to go through that so I could help others. I like to say I never struggled with those kind of things. I'm a 60, 26-year-old man. And, you know. <laughs> there are times. Somebody say amen. amen. Here's the third thing. Jesus, church members, say church members, may be more concerned about rules and rituals than helping broken people get fixed. There's some folk that come to church, they ain't caring about you getting fixed. Listen, it says, so they watched him closely, whether he would heal on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And then he told the man with the withered hand, but he says it's good to heal or not to heal on Sabbath day, to kill and so forth. But some people come to church for the wrong reason. They came to watch. Would he heal on the Sabbath? They were coming. They were concerned about how they served the communion. Did the sisters have on all the same accompanying clothes? Were they attired properly? People's marriages are falling apart. People struggling with health problems. People having finances. They don't care about that. They care about what choir sounded the best. So some, some people will more come to church for the wrong reason. I don't know why you're here today. I hope you're here to hear the word. hope you're here to become more like Christ. Here's the second reason. Some people come to church are more concerned about man-made rules than they are about meeting needs. They said, is it law Jesus asked the question, is it lawful to do good or the bad? They didn't care about doing good or bad. They were caring about their rules, their regulations. The rules, if, it, if it's a matter of somebody being hungry or somebody meeting a need, take advantage of me. I'd rather make a mistake by trying to be gracious than to keep the rules. I, I, you remember the story of the, uh, the Good Samaritan? There, were, there was a pastor, there was a priest and a Levite who saw the man. And they're looking at how he felt, how, you know, he shouldn't have been on the road by himself. He's bleeding, and, and maybe he's not a Jew, maybe he's a, I don't know what. They're trying to, all these equations, whatever their reasons were, they stepped along. They kept on stepping to go. They didn't help him. It's like the hospital, a, a man cut his leg on uh, uh, doing, uh, doing the job on the lawn, a lawnmower. He was bleeding. 
uh, pretty bad. He gets to the hospital, and it's totally organized. If you have upper body injury, go to the left. If you have a lower body injury, go to the right. If you have a middle torso injury, go straight ahead. And so, and then he had like four of the different, go halfway to this way, halfway that way. And so he went all the way to, to the lower body, so he went lower body, went through all of the stations, and then he bumped into everybody that went through every station. They came out, and it was so organized, but nobody got healed. They just, it was just organized. <laughs> a lot of churches are like that. You come every Sunday, the choir does what they do, and everybody shakes hands, God is doing all, all that. And then you go to, you leave the hospital feeling the same way you did when you came. God is more concerned about demonstrating his power than us keeping our program intact. Paul was preaching. He preached all night, and the brother, the little teenager fell out the window dead. Paul could have, he was in his clothes. I want you to know, God, I can't. Oh, Lord, somebody can help me out here. He sees the brother, little kid, falling out the window. He doesn't stay in his clothes. He leaves the pulpit. He goes to where the kid has fallen, and the Bible says he did a Holy Spirit defibrillator. He hugged the brother, and he came. Oh, God, we need to meet needs. Let me, let me run on. Some people will do whatever they can whatever it takes to keep you from being fixed. When Jesus healed that young man of his, of his withered arm, the Bible says that the, the Pharisees and the, said, and, and, the, and the scribes left to join the Herodians. They didn't even agree, but they, one, they agreed on one thing. Let's get rid of Jesus. There are people who will work double time to keep you in your brokenness. You keep people working by being broke. You keep people feeling superior spiritually by constantly going back to them with the same problem that you never get, get victory over. They, went, they worked overtime to keep the brother. They didn't help him, but they tried to take away the source of his help. They plotted together to see how we can do it. Now, how can you get clean? Somebody say, come clean to get your brokenness fixed. And we're finished. To get your brokenness fixed, you need to come clean. Here's, some, here's what happened. Here are four things that will help you get, as we go through this series, this is going to help you overcome your brokenness. You need to acknowledge that you're broken. Jesus said to the man in the crowd, he said, step forward. I can see some of us saying, I ain't going to know I got a withered hand. I ain't going to think my marriage ain't working. I ain't going to think I got broke. I don't have no money. He said, step forward. You need to acknowledge. He pointed the man out. He singled him out. Step forward. You need to acknowledge your brokenness if you're going to get fixed. Then identify what is broken in your life. In this case, sometimes you need to identify it publicly. Jesus says, stretch for your hand. What's broken in your life? Where are you stretching it forward? Who are you declaring that I'm struggling in this part of my life and I'm not getting victory? Who are you stretching forth? Who are you identifying? You know what, brothers? I am having a problem in this area of my life. Let me just be honest with you. Identify your brokenness. Here's another thing. Then you need to apply the word to your condition. And Jesus said, stretch forth your hand. Guess what he did? You need to take the word. Once you know what God says about where you're broken, you need to apply the scriptures. Here's the final thing that happened. The Bible says, after Jesus said to the man, stretch forth his hand, guess what happened to his withered hand? It was restored. Some of us get healed, but we don't receive the healing. Some of us get forgiven, but we're still beating ourselves up. 
And so not only do you need to acknowledge your brokenness, identify what is broken publicly and apply the word, you need to receive. Receive. Don't keep coming to the altar just to come. There's nothing magical about standing here. If you don't receive by faith, you're healing. The Bible says a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. Don't think you will receive anything if you're not trusting the Lord to, uh, to keep his word. I'm broken. I'm broken. Fix me, Lord. Fix me, Lord. Are you here today? And you're willing to acknowledge that you're broken? Are you prepared to identify an area in your life where you're broken? Are you willing to take the word and apply it? In the area, are you afraid of failure? Are you afraid of what the doctors are going to say? Are you afraid, whatever that area of fear may be, are you willing to receive? The Lord will heal you on the Sabbath, on a Monday, on a Tuesday, in the morning, in the evening. Are you prepared to receive it? With every head bowed, I want to uh, extend an invitation. First of all, you need to acknowledge that we're broken in the area of the need for Jesus Christ. Are you here today and you've never made a decision to personally place your trust in Christ? Is there one? Are you here today and you want to give your life to Jesus Christ? He is the one who came to fix those who are broken in spirit. The first thing that needs to occur in order for your spirit to be fixed is to acknowledge that you've sinned and you've fallen short of the glory of God. We all have. We've all sinned. But the good news is that you don't have to pay for your sin because it's been paid for by Christ. If you simply trust him as your Savior and your Lord, the Bible says he'll forgive you of your sins and he'll cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That's the good news. But in order for that to be true in your personal walk experience, you need to say yes. Is there one that would say yes to the Lord? Are you here today? Would you say yes to Jesus? Would you raise your hand right now for salvation? I want you to know that salvation in Christ makes a difference. It makes a difference. And sometimes the change that we're looking for in our lives and in relationships, it, does, it will not start until you first surrender to Christ.